Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. I am up here in our little makeshift observatory alcove. If you'll come up here, take the stairs to the mezzanine. Of course, our collection of telescopes and devices used for peering into the heavens is extensive and quite unique. But if you'll take a look into the viewfinder of our largest telescope here, you'll find I've trained it on a unique celestial body. It is indeed a galaxy far, far away. And as light travels through space, what we're seeing now may be the light of what happened long ago. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the Disney Plus series, Ahsoka. So the much-anticipated first season of Ahsoka has come and gone. Of course, the final episode, episode 8, aired this past Tuesday. And I have to tell you, I was a big fan of this series. It wasn't without its faults either in actuality or perceived faults. And we'll kind of get into that. And I'm not going to spend too much time before we get into spoilers. But uh, ultimately, if you haven't watched Ahsoka and you're a Star Wars fan, what are you waiting for? Uh, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I can get why you might not even be into it. Even the casual Star Wars fan. I mean, really, let's be honest. Ahsoka was Star Wars Rebels Season 5. So if you didn't watch Rebels, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, Jesus, this whole season had so much of Rebels and so much of Clone Wars in it that if you didn't watch either one of those two animated series, uh, you might have felt like you were a little behind and didn't quite know what was going on. But I don't think that those two series make this mutually exclusive to having watched those. I, I think you could not have watched either one of those. When Star Wars came out in 77, there was a lot of shit I didn't know what was going on. It felt like I got thrust into things. Princess Leia talking to Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader, like she's had history with them, and like I felt like I missed out on something. So it, it's not like watching Star Wars. You don't feel like that from time to time. So I, I think if you watch this, having not watched Clone Wars or or Rebels, sure you're gonna you're gonna feel like you missed out on some things. But I don't think that it would be any different than than watching, uh, like I said, the original Star Wars and feeling like you're just plopped down into the middle of this rebellion that had been going on long before this movie even started. And I think they do a good enough job with playing catch up. And getting you caught up with where things are with the particular characters and who they are and what their importance is. And Ahsoka, I mean, she's the titular character. And if you've been keeping up with any of the most recent Star Wars stuff, the, the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, you've seen her so you know who she is. So I, I don't think that you have to have watched 
Clone Wars or Rebels to enjoy this, it helps. It's going to help immensely. You're going to you're going to have a better sense of what's going on. But but if you haven't watched them and you haven't watched this series, uh, you should check it out because I, I think it is well worth it. Because this, for me, has been one of the most enjoyable series that that Disney Plus and Disney and Star Wars Lucasfilms have come out with as far as the. Uh, a standalone series. And this isn't even a standalone series. They're already talking about season two and they really set up a season two. But check it out because I think you're going to really enjoy this. It's a lot of really interesting characters, some quasi new characters, some characters. If you haven't watched the, the animated series, Clone Wars or Rebels, uh, characters are they going to be new to you. Uh, not if you have watched those. But then, of course, some of the tried and true characters that uh, get referenced and and we have some cameos. So a lot of fun stuff, a lot of great acting, a lot of great action. And now I, I know a lot of people have bitched that this was a little boring. And, and I will say that the first half of the season, maybe a little, maybe a little more than half of the season was a little slower paced. It was a little more methodical. But to me, the same people that are bitching about this one being slow at the beginning are the same people that were probably lauding Andor for being the greatest live-action Star Wars series out there. And for me, that series was... It was good, but it was methodical. And it was very slow-paced. And it had some good parts to it. Uh, It it felt like several different stories all kind of uh, sewn together. But Jesus, you know, I did not ever want to see a character that I didn't really care about one way or the other sitting there arguing with his mother over breakfast while he's eating his space pops. That was not must-see. That was not action-packed. That was not Star. That was not the Star Wars I wanted to see. I get it. It's a glimpse into daily life in the Star Wars universe. But to me, that was boring. I still liked Andor. And after watching it and watching it again, I appreciate it more. And I do like the Andor series. But it's a real slow mover. So for, for anybody that loves Andor and then is bitching about Ahsoka, uh, come on, you need to get a grip. Because I, it was no no more slow at the beginning of this than it was for Andor. And I think you really needed it. Especially for the people who never watched Clone Wars or never watched Rebels. You needed that character development to get people up to speed. To get people to know who these characters are. Why they should care about these characters. Why they're... Who is Thrawn? Who is Ezra Bridger? These characters that... For those that didn't watch the animated series, they don't know who these characters are and why they're important. Uh, You know, for those of us who read the Timothy Zahn books, we know Thrawn. And there's a lot of people that probably read those books, but maybe didn't watch Rebels or Clone Wars. So you'd you'd have a little bit edge there, but this is a different kind of Thrawn as well. Very similar. Dave Filoni was very good at capturing the essence of Timothy Zahn's Thrawn, but it's a different type of story with this character. It's not the books. So if you if you can get past a little bit of more methodical paced character development and introduction to the the bigger themes of this series and the bigger picture of this series, then I, I think you're going to enjoy this because once they get where they're going in this, it's kind of balls to the walls. 
And, and that's something you also have to take into account when you're watching this series is that this is the intro to a bigger story. Not only are we going to get Ahsoka season two, not only is this probably going to tie in some of the, some of the things of this are going to tie in with the uh, Mandalorian, the next season of the Mandalorian when it comes out either next year or early 2025. There's also going to be at least a movie. Uh, the heir to the empire movie that this is all leading up to as i've heard a lot of uh of people who do uh, recaps of of these series uh there there's some great ones out there uh two that i love the most emergency awesome and new rock stars do a really good job of kind of breaking all this stuff down and and you know, you're sitting there watching it as a, why does that seem familiar? And you watch them and you're like, oh, that's why that seemed familiar. There's a lot of stuff I catch, but, but I can't go through it as methodically as they do sometimes. And they do a really good job of breaking the stuff down. But, but even I've heard a lot of them talking about how this is kind of uh, an Avengers Endgame style story where it is all leading up to a big event and that heir to the Empire movie is going to be that big event. Now, whether they do, uh, you know, because the Heir to the Empire trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy, uh, the first book was Heir to the Empire. I don't know if they're going to try to do one for each of the books because they're two totally different stories. Thrawn in the Star Wars live action that they're doing right now is it's a, it's a totally different story from the Thrawn trilogy of books by Timothy Zahn. So uh, I don't know whether they'll try and turn it into a trilogy that mirrors the books or a trilogy in name only. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to play that out, but, but they are going to at least have that heir to the empire movie, which will be, if not the, the end game style conclusion of this, the beginning of the end, as far as a conclusion to this story, depending on how many movies they try to milk out of that. And I'll give you my thoughts once we kind of get into some spoiler territory about uh, what maybe they should, or, or maybe they shouldn't do with a an heir to the empire movie or a trilogy of movies if they should decide to do that but ultimately like i said if you love star wars you got to check out ahsoka if you haven't watched it go do that come back listen to my thoughts but if you have watched it or like i said maybe you don't care about star wars one way or the other why you would be listening and keep listening uh i don't know but uh, hey stranger things have happened and uh if you want to check out what our thoughts are on a show you've never seen or don't care about then hey you know what the more the merrier hop on board because we're gonna we're gonna truck on through but like i said from here on out there are gonna be spoilers so like i said earlier the the for the most part this first few episodes of this season really was kind of set up for the last part of the season once they finally get to where thrawn and ezra bridger are that's really where i think the story starts to pick up and and until then it is all just introduction to characters and setting it up getting them to this other galaxy and and that is really what it is is they decided that when Ezra Bridger used the space whales uh the pergol at the end of rebels to take Thrawn off to the the great unknown. A lot of people, there was a lot of speculation, maybe that he took him into the unknown regions outside of the the outer rim of the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, a lot of people, there was a lot of speculation as to where Ezra Bridger and these Purgle actually took Thrawn, but they decided, Dave Filoni decided that 
Uh, he took them into a completely different galaxy. And I really loved the, the play on words with that because at the opening scrawl of any Star Wars, it is long ago in a galaxy far, far away. And they certainly played off that when Hu Yang is telling uh, Ahsoka that story he starts off with long ago in a galaxy far, far away. One of the episodes was called Far, Far Away. That may have been the episode where that happened. But uh, I, I like the the play on words with that. That's just a, such a such a dorky, nerdy, fan servicey thing that if you're like me, you just ate that shit up because it just, I don't know why, it just gave me the feels and uh, just it's it's part of what I love about this series and what this uh, series, uh, you know, where it opens up the mind to to where things can go and what things can happen and that sense of wonder that the first time I saw that opening scrawl of Star Wars back uh, however many years, decades ago, you know, it, it it's that sort of stuff that brings about the wide-eyed wonder of the, the little kid in me that has just been enamored with Star Wars from the time I can remember. So I don't really want to go into a play-by-play -play breakdown of every episode. Like I said, there, there are better places to, to do that. Uh, you can check out, like I said, New Rock Stars and Emergency Awesome are two of my favorites to get the episode by episode breakdown. And they're going to be able to spend a lot more time than I have, uh, you know, breaking down all these individual things and, and doing the research. I think what I'm going to do more of here, this is just going to be my thoughts on these characters and where they fit into the story and why I liked or didn't like them. And I have to say, uh, right off the bat, uh, I really love the casting in this. I mean, they did such a really good job. Uh, Rosario Dawson, you know, she reprises her role as Ahsoka Tano. And I, I really liked her story arc throughout this because she has a lot of complicated things going on. She feels like she abandoned Anakin when she left the Jedi Order and he ended up becoming Darth Vader. So there's a, a bit of guilt there, almost like a survivor's guilt that, you know, if she hadn't left him, he'd still be alive sort of situation. And, and she's got that going on. Then she's also got her own Padawan, which uh, Sabine Wren, they kind of became a uh, master in Padawan off screen in between the end of Rebels and the beginning of Ahsoka. And it's revealed late that Ahsoka was afraid that Sabine was training to become a Jedi for the wrong reasons because her family was slaughtered on the purge of Mandalore. She was afraid that Sabine was going to succumb to the same fate as Anakin, who started down his path to the dark side because of the death of his mother. And she has a really interesting story, Ahsoka does, in learning that while Anakin did become Darth Vader, when he was her master, he was a good master to her. And that she can be a good master to Sabine. Uh, she can pass along the good things. And if she gives in to the fear of passing on those bad things then fear is part of the the way and part of that path towards the dark side and like any mass master any trainer any teacher you have to have the faith that you're going to teach the person you're teaching 
well enough that in this situation, they choose the right path for themselves, not because you told them to go down that path. So just a lot of really interesting things in Ahsoka's character that she learns along the way. I thought the, uh, the episode where she goes to the world between worlds and she has that run in with Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker was just wonderful. Now, the de-aging on Hayden Christensen was a little wonky at times. Sometimes it was really good. Sometimes it was kind of off, uh, especially in the world between worlds. Uh, I don't know whether that was a stylistic choice because of where they were in the world between worlds or if it was just a rushed CG effect. I mean, Disney is no stranger to that. But, but I thought that was one of the standout episodes and probably where things really business started picking up with that episode because you got the flashback scenes with Anakin Skywalker, uh, Hayden Christensen during the Clone Wars. You had Ariana Greenblatt playing a younger version of Ahsoka. And it was really cool to say it makes you really want to see a live action movie or, or something during the Clone Wars with these characters. But that was really cool. It was really cool. Uh, Timura Morrison had a, a vocal reprisal of the Rex character and a couple of those scenes. So it was really uh, such a fun Clone Wars callback in that episode and that was really kind of where Ahsoka started to learn those lessons and she kind of made a change in her own self becoming less of a former Jedi who wasn't sure of themselves wasn't sure in what they were doing as a as a master and a, as a person in and of themselves and after that she became the Jedi that that she is or or would have been I don't think she ever actually finished her training but that was kind of her finishing her training in those scenes with Anakin and when we see Ahsoka come out of that she really is a Jedi, uh, a full-fledged Jedi for the first time. And she's all dressed in white, which to me felt kind of like mirroring Luke Skywalker, how in the first Star Wars he had that white tunic that he was wearing and the, the beige pants, and it just kind of, to me, mirrored that in a way. And of course, Natasha Lou Bordizzo as Sabine Wren was, I really liked her performance. She really felt like a version of Sabine from the from the comics or from the animated series and I like how you know she's training to be Ahsoka's uh, apprentice her Padawan but she's just not very good at the force and, and I like how that all pays off in that final episode where she does kind of pull her lightsaber to her using the force she gives Ezra Bridger that kind of boost when he's Jedi jumping, force jumping uh, to that uh, Chimera Star Destroyer. But hers was an interesting story how she's training to be a Jedi, but uh, she, there's so much doubt within her. And a lot of it, I think, was because she was training to avenge her parents, uh, to avenge her family. Whereas at the end, when she's starting to use the force, she's doing it to help Ezra and kind of playing into the bond that these two characters have and have always had going back to Rebels. And I also liked uh, rounding out the uh, Rebels reunion. You had Mary Elizabeth Winstead playing Harrison Dula and... <laughs> I have to I have to say I'm as guilty as anyone. I loved her performances here. I thought she did a really good job. Uh but those pants she was wearing, wow. Uh they and and you know, the filmmakers, 
they didn't help things, but you saw all the memes. <laughs> and I have to say, at the risk of sounding like a bit of a cad, uh, her backside looked mighty fine in them britches. Hey, there I said it. I'm a, I'm a man. I'm not trying to be lewd or disgusting. I'm just appreciating what God gave her and how they filled those britches. But uh, my God, they didn't help the situation by every chance they got uh, showing a damn near close-up of her can in those pants episode after episode. You can't dangle the carrot and expect the horse not to bite. But no, in all seriousness, though, uh, I really liked uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Harrison Dula. I, I wish we could have got more of her. And I mean, we in that first half of the series, uh, we got uh, a lot of scenes with her, but it just all felt like she was along for the ride for the most part. And I wish she would have had a little more agency. Now, maybe that will be in the second season. Maybe we'll get a little more of the Hera character actually having some involvement in the story proper. And like I said, having that agency that just didn't feel like she had in this. Uh, but I really did enjoy her as this character. And I uh, can't wait for them to bring her back in season two. And hopefully they bring them britches back uh, because she looked mighty fine in them. Excellent costuming right there. And then Chopper was pretty cool. Dave Filoni voicing Chopper, the little R2 unit, uh, was was always fun because uh, that's such a, a good comic relief character in the animated series and in this. And you have to imagine, you can't understand what he's saying for the most part, but you have to imagine it's a lot of swear words. Kind of like R2-D2. And I suppose while we're at it, I'll round out the good guys. Uh, I really enjoyed Iman Asfandi as uh, Ezra Bridger. Uh, not an actor I'm terribly familiar with, but I thought he really did a good job uh, capturing the youthful exuberance that Ezra Bridger, the character, displayed in the Rebel series. There were so many lines that he had in this, and the delivery and the line between the two of those, it really felt like an older version of the Ezra Bridger character from the Rebel series. So I, I loved his performance. Again, I wish we could have got more of him uh, because he didn't really show up until, you know, the last wait, three episodes, two episodes. Yeah, it must have been two or three episodes of the series. So I can't wait till we get a full season with this character. Uh, that'll be fun. And David Tennant as Hu Yang, the droid that has helped craft lightsabers for Jedi for, you know, a millennia. Who knows how long uh, since the dawn of time. But uh, he really stole the show. Uh, my wife and I watched this, and we're both big David Tennant fans. Just finished watching him on Good Omen Season 2 here uh, a couple months ago. And just enjoy anything that he shows up in. And to see him and hear him voicing Hu Yang, he just did a really good job with this. A lot of special guest actors that they bring in to play droids or whoever, it really just feels like a shoehorned, hey, look at me, I'm so-and-so playing a Star Wars character. Uh, woo whoopee! Uh, and it just, it takes me out of it. But David Tennant, did such a good job of playing this this character straight up. He was playing a character. He was playing a droid. And it felt so much like a nod to Anthony Daniels' C-3PO. 
who got a we got a uh, cameo of uh, later in the series, uh, which was really cool. But uh, David Tennant, it really kind of felt like a nod to C three PO. There were just so many moments that felt very C three PO ish without being a carbon copy, without being a rip off, without being. Without even him feeling like it was an homage to Anthony Daniels and, and C-3PO. But it, but it had that vibe, which made the character even more endearing. And David Tennant playing this character like a character. And not, uh, hey, I'm David Tennant, special guest star. Uh, it, it just, he stole the show for me. Probably one of the most enjoyable characters to watch in this. In, in a laundry list of very enjoyable characters, I have to say. So a couple more characters we're going to talk about into the bad guys right now. And then we'll, we'll talk about some bigger picture things. But uh, Diana Lee and Asanto as Morgan Elsbeth, she makes a return. Uh, she had that big showdown. If you're not familiar with her, she was in, uh, what was it? Uh, was it The Mandalorian? Uh, I can't remember if it was the second season, but uh, she had that that arc where they had that showdown between her and Morgan Elsbeth, where Morgan Elsbeth has the Beskar spear and she's fighting Ahsoka with her lightsabers. And it was cool to see her make a return and see that she is uh, of the Night Sister descent. Again, Night Sisters are a big thing in, in Star Wars, the Clone Wars. So if you haven't watched that, you probably aren't sure what's going on with the whole Night Sister thing. Uh, but, but definitely watch Clone Wars because you'll learn a lot more about uh, who these characters are. But Diana Lee and Asanto does a really good job as Morgan Elsbeth. And her character is really interesting because she is kind of the the person spearheading this, the first half of this because she is looking for Thrawn, trying to get to where Thrawn is. And she is driving the the narrative of the first half of this season and and does a really good job with this plays a really believable bad guy so i really liked her uh we get introduced to a couple not jedi they're not jedi but they're not sith uh balen skull played by ray stevenson who is a former jedi survivor of order 66 but he's turned into i, I guess what they're calling a, a dark jedi because if you notice his sword at first i was like oh it's red he's a sith but if you look close enough at it it's not it's an orange it's got an orange hue to it and so he's a dark jedi he's got a dark jedi apprentice padawan however they call it in shin hati played by ivana sakno an actress i'm not 100 familiar with but i really liked her in this so i'm looking forward to seeing her more but i really loved their storyline because there was so much mystery behind it and you really didn't get a ton of answers at least nothing explained explicitly but if you know anything about the history of the Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, you know exactly where this story is going. But Ray Stevenson did such a wonderful job as Balin Skull. And it's such a sad thing that the actor Ray Stevenson passed away before this came out. I mean, it was after filming, but before this came out. And uh, he did such a wonderful job. And, you know, for him not to be able to hear the praise and the accolades he's gotten for this role. And it, it, it's very sad. I mean, it's sad in and of itself that he passed away far too soon. But the fact that such a, a great role for him, he'll never get to reprise. We'll never get the pleasure of seeing him reprise it. And and it really leads to a lot of questions as what should they do? I know a lot of 
fans out there are fan casting and they want Liev Schreiber to take on this role. Whether that'll happen, I don't know. Uh, depends on you know what he's got going on, whether he wants to do a Star Wars film. I, it's it's kind of that point where you're like, who doesn't want to do Star Wars? But, but at any rate, a lot of people are fan casting him. Uh, maybe they bring in somebody completely unknown or, or a lesser known actor, but still has the chops to pull off this character and the look. I think you got to get the look right. You, you got to have that Ray Stevenson look about him, build facial structure. I think that's why people want Liev Schreiber to to take on this role because they do both have a very similar build and and look about them. Uh, I would certainly not be disappointed if they got Liam Schreiber to to take on this role because I've been a fan of his for a long time. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with this character, given the fact that Ray Stevenson had passed away. And then, of course, the incomparable Lars Mikkelsen as Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, I tell you what, this is one of the most interesting bad guys in the history of the Star Wars, uh, we'll say the expanded universe, because he never showed up in Star Wars until the Timothy Zahn's trilogy of books there in the 90s. I remember reading and thinking, this is such a cool bad guy. And I, I always pictured him. I know a lot of people, when Ahsoka was coming out and they were like kind of doing the fan casting, everyone thought maybe John Hamm would would look that, that way. Of course, this all being based on the the artwork for the Thrawn trilogy. But I, I too was like, oh, I think John Hamm would really capture that look. He's got the very square jaw that you saw in all the Thrawn artwork from the from the mid-90s and the Thrawn trilogy. Lars Mikkelsen doesn't have quite that look, but he still pulls it off. And the really cool thing is that he voiced Thrawn in the Rebels series. So uh, it, it is very familiar. It's the voice of Thrawn that we heard for, for however many seasons he was a part of Rebels. But to hear that voice and to see him in the, the Thrawn white Imperial regalia and the blue skin and the red eyes and the black slicked back hair, uh, it, it really it felt natural. It felt right. And he does such a good job with playing that quiet genius, that quiet menace. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how this character plays on the big screen because he really is such a great villain and I really hope that they milk as much as they can out of this character and this level of a villain for as long as they can whether it is for another season of Ahsoka whether it is for just one movie whether it's a trilogy of movies however movies they do uh, with Thrawn as the big bad guy hopefully they milk the character and Lars Mikkelsen as this character as much as they can, because this is a character that, you know, genius level strategist and Lars Mikkelsen with that delivery, that quiet, uh, whispery delivery and that methodical way he talks and the not even the things he says, but things left unspoken, uh, the kind of dot, dot, dot after he says something. There's a great scene with Morgan Elsbeth where he's essentially saying he wants her to go sacrifice herself to give him more time to to leave the planet that he's been stranded on and he never says it but what he does say he just kind of leaves that little dot 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 at the end of it and you know what he's asking of her and it's it's that sort of brilliant performance brilliant writing 
And and that it really is what Thrawn is, and he does such a wonderful job with this. Uh, I can't wait to see more of him, uh, Lars Mikkelsen, as this character, as this story progresses and plays out through TV and movies. But ultimately, this, this series is so wonderful because there are so many callbacks in this. There are so many callbacks, whether it be things mentioned, uh, things seen, things talked about. And even lines of dialogue, there's a wonderful, I mean, there's multiple of these, uh, but this is the only one I can think of right offhand, but probably the best one. There's a moment where Ahsoka and Anakin are in the world of Between Worlds, and he wants Ahsoka to finish her training, and he wants to fight her. And she says, I'm not going to fight you. And he, he says, I've heard that before. And it was such a wonderful callback to... Return of the Jedi, where Luke knows that Vader is his father and Vader wants to turn him to the dark side, wants him to fight him, let out his anger. And Luke says that I'm not going to fight you. And it really was kind of cool because it also shows that this version of Anakin, it's not Anakin from the past. It's not Clone Wars era Anakin. It is an Anakin outside of time and space he may look like anakin from the clone wars but he is an anakin that only looks like that he is an anakin that has all of anakin's memories from before the clone wars and even past the clone wars so while he doesn't look like he would know what happened to him as vader and with his son in return of the jedi he he does have all that that memory and that connective tissue to to those parts of his past, present, and future. And, and that really is the essence of what the world in between worlds is. If you've watched, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels. I think that was probably more in Rebels than Clone Wars, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. But there are a lot of cool mentions. There was the mention of Asaz Ventress from Clone Wars and not necessarily a direct a reference to Mother Talzin, but there's that scene where Morgan Elsbeth is becoming a full-fledged night sister, and she is blessed with the gift of shadows and given the sword of Talzin, which is the sword that Mother Talzin used when she was fighting Mace Windu in the Clone Wars. And it's kind of like a, a sword with a green flame. And it looked very much like the sword from the comics. I thought that was a really cool reference, a, a deep reference. I had to think about it for a second, but then I was like, oh yeah, that is right. There's that scene in the towards the end with, uh, with Ahsoka. And off in the distance, you see that white owl-looking creature. That's the Morai, which ties into the daughter and the Mortis gods. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that briefly. I don't want to get into too much, but it is kind of, I think, the future of where this series is going. So we'll talk about that. But a lot of nods to the things you saw in, in Star Wars in general, but a lot of what you saw in Rebels and the Clone Wars, there's that wonderful scene where Ezra Bridger is remaking his lightsaber and he's making it to look like the uh, Kanan Jarrus lightsaber from Rebels and Hu Yang's helping him or or maybe not so much helping him, but I think he helps him in the end. He's more just given that he likes to give people shit, given Ezra shit, given Sabine Wren shit. Uh, <laughs> 
I think that's probably why I like Hu Yang so much uh, and David Tennant's performance. But there are a lot of nods to to various stories and various characters throughout, uh, like I said, Clone Wars and Rebels and Star Wars in general. This had a lot of really cool lightsaber scenes. Uh, the first couple were okay. Uh, the one between Shin Hati and Sabine Wren was okay. I think where things really picked up is when uh, Ahsoka and Sabine make it to that, that world where they open up the map to find where Thrawn and Ezra Bridger are. And you had those lightsaber duels between Ahsoka and Sabine and Shin and the Merak character who everyone totally had that wrong. So many people thought that was a Sam Witwer character from one of the video games. Everybody thought it was Ezra gone dark. Everybody was wrong. It was like fucking Mephisto all over again. People were so off base on what they thought this Maroc character was. And turns out he was just somebody brought back from the dead, as we saw later. And I'll touch on that a little bit. But I think that was a a really cool fight scene. Uh, Soka going on and having a a duel with Balin Skull was really good. Their second lightsaber duel I thought was really good. But to me, one of the best duels in this series was the one at the end between Ahsoka and Morgan Elsbeth. I thought that was really cool with the sort of Talzin and, and Ahsoka with the, the dual lightsabers, which she had one of them, the smaller one destroyed. Uh, that was a really good lightsaber scene. I The thing about the lightsaber scenes, I, I know a lot of people bitch about the lightsaber scenes in these Star Wars uh, series they're not fast paced like the prequel series lightsaber themes. And I have to say that to me, they're they're they strike the right balance. You know, in the prequel series, there was a lot of flipping and flopping, the, the lightsabers flip, 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 flip. You know, just everything moving so fast, which is kind of cool. And it was a spectacle to see at that time. We'd never seen a lightsaber fight like that. The only lightsaber fights we saw were between Darth Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi, which by comparison was a snooze fest and then the lightsaber battles between Luke and and Darth Vader which were were a little more action-packed but nothing like we had seen in the prequel series and while that's cool I, I I can see where you know you don't want it to be all that uh, you know, the, the lightsabers just flying back and forth and everything so quick. I think the lightsaber fights we got in this, I think were a nice mix between the slower paced stuff we got in the original series, uh, the hyper fast pace that we got in the prequel series. I thought this was kind of a, a nice in-between. And this fight between Morgan Elsbeth and Ahsoka I think was probably one of the one of the better choreographed. It really, yeah, it all comes down to choreography, and I enjoyed uh, some of these later lightsaber battles in this. And then, of course, the look and the feel of this, uh, and the sounds of this, I think were probably some of the most stunning things. I mean, the, I mean, the world building and the special effects, the visual effects, the CG was all top notch. You're used to that with Lucas Films. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's night and day from from Star Wars to Marvel, where the quality divider line is. Now, that's not to say that sometimes you do get some wonky CG with some of these Star Wars things, but I think with some of the real the the real heavy hitters, stuff like this, stuff like Andor, the prestige stuff that they're trying to do, uh, I think that is where you're seeing some of the great. 
uh, CG work. And, and this was one of those where this is Ahsoka. They knew this is a big deal. So they were going to pour some money into it, special effects wise. So I thought, you know, that was that was on course for, for what you would expect from Star Wars. But I tell you what, the sound design was just absolutely brilliant and and really came to the forefront with that final episode. I think that probably had some of the best sound design. When you're talking about some of the magic, the force magic being used, but the Night Sisters and, and all of that going on. When you had the the night troopers, the stormtroopers that were killed and then raised from the dead. You had some really good sound design there, whether it's them being raised from the dead or them becoming zombies essentially and zombies in the fucking star wars universe who would have thunk but really it is steeped in tradition and steeped in lore and steeped in canon because in the clone wars when you're dealing with the night sisters one of the things that they're most known for is bringing people back from the dead and resurrecting people from the dead uh to be their minions and and that is a part of this, and, and we're getting into a bit of the story where we're going to get into some of that, the mystical, witchy, magical areas of the Force. And that whole scene where Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka take out all those uh, those night troopers, and they all raise from the dead. It was just so creepy. And, you know, you don't expect horror from Star Wars, although I think a, I think a Star Wars horror movie would be really badass. You could do it with all the creepy creatures and shit going on. And especially, you know, with the Night Sisters and the rebirth of that uh, race of beings coming back. Again, we'll get into that here shortly. Uh, I think you could do a really good Star Wars horror film. But that scene where they're raising the troopers from the dead, you caught a little sample of Camille Saint-Saëns Dance Macabre. And... I freaking I freaking lost it when I saw that because one I love that song. It's one of those songs I listen to every Halloween. There's a creepy, it's not animated, but it's like still animated still shots that PBS did like back in the 70s or 80s that I, I posted on the Facebook page every year. Uh, it's just, it's creepy and I love it. I uh, remember we used to listen to that song. My music teacher in, I think far back as like second grade would play that song for us every year around Halloween. And it's probably where I fell in love with it and the idea of what the song represented and what the different instruments represented and so I, I love that song and to hear it like a little sample it's only a few notes of the violin but you catch that at the beginning of the score when that is all happening and it was so creepy and, and speaking of the score my god it really was one of the highlights of this and kevin kiner was the composer for this and just did an absolutely wonderful job. So much of the original music in this is just so captivating and stunning and, and emotional. And the thing I loved, kind of like the sample of St. Sen's Dance Macabre, he used a lot of inspiration from some of those original Star Wars themes and scores from those movies. Not in entirety, but you would see a scene where you're expecting something you know you're expecting a particular 
score to play, whether it's somebody using the force or two characters reuniting, you're expecting a, a certain score from, from movies past. And he would use maybe the first two, three notes of that to start off something completely new. So you're getting those same emotions that you would get from those scores that you know and love, but it, it turns immediately into something different. And it still worked. It still it still elicited the same emotions. And I, it was such a brilliant score. I think, if anything, that was probably one of the most impressive things about this was the music and the sound design and the look of it all. I mean, the acting and the directing and the writing was all there and all really good. In spite of like the pacing issues at the beginning, it being a little slower to get where it needed to go. But I thought, you know, from a technical standpoint, the music, the look, the feel, the sounds of this world were some of the most impressive things about this series. And, and that's not to take away from, like I said, the acting, the directing, and the writing. So where does this go next? I mean, you've got Ezra and Thrawn and the Night Sisters and this secret cargo back in the regular Star Wars galaxy. You've got you've got Sabine, Ahsoka, Shin Hati, Balin Skull, and Morgan Elsbeth's body. You know, people come back to life now in Star Wars, so I'm not counting her out as being totally gone. But they're back in the other galaxy that Thrawn was was trapped in. Thrawn and Ezra were trapped in. How are they going to get back to the regular Star Wars universe? There's a lot of interesting ways they could go. I mean, there's the world between worlds. Uh, Ahsoka's been there. We saw the Force Ghost of Anakin, which I thought was a very emotional and very cool way to end this. You've got the Balin Skull character who has always been talking about a, a power and something that he's looking for that uh, will end the wars of men and, and creatures and whatnot in the Star Wars universe. And it all kind of ties into the Mortis Gods, uh, something that is very heavily gone into in the Clone Wars series, even into to Rebels some, but you see him standing on this statue pointing off into the distance to a mountain where there's some shaft of light or something reflecting uh, off in the distance and this on this peak of this mountain. And the statue that he's standing on is the father of the Mortis gods. Of course, there's the father, the daughter, and the son. It represents the Force. The daughter is the good side of the Force. And she is physically represented by the Morai, that white owl that we saw uh, off in the distance with Ahsoka in one of the scenes earlier. Uh, her statue is crumbled. Maybe that's why she's in a physical form. But you have the brother who represents the dark side of the Force and the father who represents the balance between the two. And I'm not sure exactly how they're going into this, what exactly this statue is pointing towards that Balin's skull is looking off to in the distance, but where his story is going does deal with the Mortis gods. It'll be interesting not only to see who they cast to replace Ray Stevenson as Balin's skull. Uh, hopefully they do. I, I hope they don't just write the character off. I, I think this is a really interesting character. Uh, Ray Stevenson played him wonderfully, but I want to see more of this character and you almost have to recast him. But it'll be interesting to see what this character is really after uh, in the grand scheme of things with the Mortis gods. You've got Thrawn and he's got the three Night Sisters that kind of represent the three fates 
that snip the the threads of people's lives and stuff like that. Clotho is the the main one. That's actually I think a name of one of the fates. I can't remember if the other two or not. But they're going back to Dathomir, the home of the Night Sisters, with all these things that look like caskets. And uh, I, I did see somewhere. I believe it was Eric Voss and the guys at New Rockstar. They pointed out that there were at least like over five thousand of these caskets, and and that's kind of been the speculation. What are these? Are these caskets? Are these dead night sisters, or is it some sort of hibernation, or is it night sisters at all? I mean, there's really you have to imagine that they're going back to Dathomir to repopulate the planet with Night Sisters because I think that's really where we're going the reintroduction of Night Sisters into the Star Wars universe. I think that's probably the safe bet is that these are either dead or some sort of hibernating Night Sisters that they're going to either bring back to life or wake up and repopulate and this is going to bring another facet back into Star Wars. I mean, we saw this in Clone Wars, with force being used like magic, you know, not dark side, not light side, but a different side, not a not a balanced side by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I, I saw, you know, there's this one guy, and I can't help but listen to his videos talking about he's got the inside track. He knows somebody at Lucas Films that knows somebody who's a second cousin to somebody twice removed, and it's all a vast conspiracy by Kathleen Kennedy to remove any males from the Star Wars universe in its entirety. Uh, I, I don't think it's that. Uh, I just think it's another aspect of, of the Force and another aspect of Star Wars that we're, we're bringing back into the picture because it was, you know, the Night Sisters were very much a part of Clone Wars and they wiped out that race, that, that faction of Force users. And, you know, Dave Filoni's just bringing them back. Now, I could see where some of the alarmists would look at uh, Ahsoka and say, oh, well, this is just, it's all, it's a girl power series. Because, yeah, I mean, all the primary characters, at least all the primary. Uh, good guys uh, until Ezra Bridger came along and half of the, well, even more than half of the bad guys are all females. Uh, but you know what? That's, that's not a bad thing. I think people need to relax when it comes to shit like that. I don't think it's a bad thing to have a mostly female cast. I hope that is not to the exclusion of mostly male cast or mostly male heroes. Or, you know, I, I think there has to be, like the force, there has to be balance. And I don't know what Kathleen Kennedy, whatever machinations, whether they be real or contrived by people that are just uh, afraid of something different. But uh, I, I don't know if this, you know, a lot of people are saying Dave Filoni's catering to her i don't think it's that i think it's just dave filoni trying to tell good stories based on characters that he created and nothing more nothing less i don't think he is you know bowing down at the altar of kennedy uh i think he's just you know wants to finish telling his stories and you know what? i fucking like his stories so i'm gonna keep watching them and hopefully you like them too you know, like any Star Wars series, it hasn't been perfect. Like I said, it had some pacing issues at the beginning. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. It was slower paced. They could have really picked up the pace a little bit. But it was still, I think, in service of setting up these characters for anyone who didn't watch 
Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels. And I think you needed to do that for the lay fans that are just coming into this cold. So I, I didn't mind the pacing at the beginning. Like I said, it really picked up and the story got really interesting. Not that it wasn't interesting to begin with, but you knew they were trying to get you somewhere. And once you got there, that's where business started picking up. And as I said earlier as well, this is all in service of setting up a, a bigger picture, a, a bigger story, a story that's going to involve another season of Ahsoka, a story that's going to involve tie-ins with some of the other Star Wars show like Skeleton Crew and The Mandalorian once we get a new season of that. It's going to lead up to a big feature film, Heir to the Empire, which, like I said, it's not going to be based entirely off of the the book Heir to the Empire, the first book in the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, but it's going to be that in spirit. I hope maybe they do kind of tie a little more into that book than, than maybe they're letting on, because that book is uh, a book about Han, Leia, Luke, Chewbacca, Lando, Wedge Antilles, all those original Star Wars characters. They're the heroes in that. And by God, part of me really wishes we could see them in uh, an heir to the Empire movie. Maybe they're not going to be the sole focus, but I wish they could be in it. And the only way you can do that is if you recast those characters. And I've been really against that for a long time. But I, I have to say that I, I don't know. I, I think it's at least something that should be explored. If you get the right people, the right actors that have very similar looks to those original characters, I think it could work. I've always thought Anthony and Gruber would, would make a great Han Solo. I really, uh, I wanted him in the Solo movie over Alden Ehrenreich. Uh, Anthony and Gruber, I think, it, you know, he really embodies the look and the sound of Harrison Ford as Han Solo. I think there are options for Princess Leia. You know, people have been fan casting Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker since uh, Luke made the de-aging appearance at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2. So I think there are options out there that I think have to be on the table and at least discussed. Doesn't mean they should do it. Doesn't mean they have to do it. But I think it should be at least discussed, especially if these characters aren't going to be the the main characters of this movie. And maybe maybe you have a scene, a little uh, scene that it's kind of a, a nod to the books, uh, a nod to the fans, a nod to those original characters. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you play that out, but hopefully... All things are on the table when it comes to what they're going to do with the Heir to the Empire movie as it compares to the Heir to the Empire book from Timothy Zahn that it's supposed to be loosely based on. So ultimately, I I really love the Ahsoka series. I'm probably guilty as anybody of fanboying this, but like I said, it wasn't a bad series. It, it had some issues, but I think ultimately it had a lot of good things, a lot of good Star Wars things in it that I really enjoyed. And you know, there's a lot of people that just want to badmouth anything that's Star Wars, just like they want to badmouth anything that's Marvel. They want to badmouth anything that's Disney because it doesn't live up to the standards they set in their own mind. Because I think too many fans sit there and fan cast. I think they, uh, too many fans sit there and fan craft their own stories. And when the stories that Dave Filoni or whoever from Lucasfilms puts out there, doesn't meet the story that they had already conjured up in their head, 
they're disappointed and that's a that's a shit show because it didn't meet the standards of a movie or a tv show that i had in my head that it was never going to be like you thought it was going to be because that's just not how life works so and granted i think there's a lot of fans like that i think there's a lot of fans that they will never be happy because it's just not the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy I don't think anybody wants anything to be the sequel trilogy, so that's that's off the table. But you get my draft. So, you know, I think people need to relax, just sit back and enjoy it. We're getting live action Star Wars on the fucking big screen, small screen, whatever screen you got. And I know it may make me sound old or whatever, but back when I was growing up, you had those three original movies. You had a couple shitty Ewok movies, one with Wilford Brimley, the Quaker Oats diabetes guy, and you had the droids cartoon. You also had a Star Wars holiday special that no one ever really saw, but everybody heard about. This was long before YouTube, kids. But, you know, back then I would have dreamed. I'm, I'm living the dream right now. A lot of Star Wars fans my age that that grew up going to the movie theater to watch those uh, original movies. Uh, You know, we're living the dream right now because we're getting all the Star Wars live action on on the TV that we could want. And while it may not be perfect, just sit back and enjoy the fucking ride because... It's Star Wars, baby. So if you haven't watched it, go check out Ahsoka on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did if you did watch it. And uh, can't wait to see what comes out next. I believe the Skeleton Crew series is coming out next. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be released, but it should be released to Disney Plus sometime this year. Uh, I know they've got Loki going on now, so that will probably get us through October. So I'm guessing maybe around Christmas uh, probably is when we'll see Skeleton Crew and uh, looking forward to that. I was a Jude Law fan and really interested to see where they're where they're gonna go with this? Uh, got uh, a really good young cast. Ryan Kier Armstrong, really big fan of hers. It's got Urkel, Jaleel White's gonna be in this. Carrie Condon, so uh, a lot of uh, interesting actors and uh, and I think an interesting story. So looking forward to that. But want to thank everybody for listening to my thoughts on Ahsoka. You can check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our social media pages, uh, Facebook and Instagram for anything that's going on with horror fantasy and science fiction and no matter where you listen to this podcast whether it be spotify itunes or apple podcast whatever they call it these days google podcast whatever platform you're listening to us on please follow it subscribe to it like it whatever your platform of choice calls it and please leave those reviews five stars will be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that and no matter what you do please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves star wars or science fiction or fantasy or horror any of the great genres we talk about them all whether it be movies tv series books short stories comics even music from time to time so uh please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves those genres and loves uh, you know just a good conversation about uh, all the the genres we love and and the forms that they come in so until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!